1: Blade Hawk's cyber-espionage campaign is in progress. Microsoft warns of targeted attacks. Hey, the hoods took a breather over Labor Day, but the straw hats are off now and they're back at work. Someone is rummaging in R-Evil's unquiet grave, bulletproof hosting services and the criminal marketplace. Mike Benjamin from Black Lotus Labs on Reverse Rat 2.0. Rick Howard checks in with Philip Reiner from the Ransomware Task Force. And does a new urgent message require action? Maybe not. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, September 8th, 2021. ESET is tracking Bladehawk, a mobile Android-based cyber espionage campaign targeting ethnic Kurds. There's no attribution, but Kurds have been perennial objects of suspicion on the part of the three governments that control traditional Kurdistan, Turkey, Iraq, and Iran. Microsoft warned yesterday that targeted attacks are exploiting a vulnerability in MSHTML by using malicious ActiveX controls in Word documents for remote code execution. There's no patch yet, but Redmond is working on it. In the meantime, Microsoft has made some mitigations and workarounds available, notably disabling ActiveX, and CISA encourages users and organizations to review them. Patch Tuesday arrives next week, and while Microsoft hasn't promised a fix for the vulnerability, many expect Redmond to issue one then, if not an earlier out-of-band patch. And we do mention Microsoft is a CyberWire sponsor. There's no attribution of the attacks yet, but Security Week thinks that the wording of Microsoft's disclosure strongly hints that a nation-state is behind them, and CISA says, if you'd like to stay safer until the final patch is out, do consider what Microsoft recommends and disable ActiveX rendering. So it turns out that Labor Day weekend was more a day off than the expected extortion doorbuster for ransomware gangs, But now that the holidays passed, the hoods have returned to business as usual. The Washington Post is prepared to call the quiet holiday an anomaly. CISA, the FBI, and the White House had all warned organizations to be on the alert, sound advice on form, but the expected wave of attacks didn't materialize. The ongoing ransomware infestation at Howard University in Washington, D.C. is still under investigation, and in the process of resolution. As the university posted yesterday, quote, the situation is still being investigated. ETS and its partners, ETS is the university's IT department, have been working diligently to fully address this incident and restore operations as quickly as possible. We are currently working with leading external forensic experts and law enforcement to fully investigate the incident and the impact. To date, there has been no evidence of personal information being accessed or exfiltrated. However, our investigation remains ongoing, and we continue to work toward clarifying the facts surrounding what happened and what information has been accessed. Courses remain suspended today, with physical access to campus restricted to essential personnel only. They're working on setting up an alternative Wi-Fi system, but that's not expected to be ready today. The other big ransomware news concerns a stirring in the unquiet grave of Our Evil, the gang also known as Sodinukibi, that appeared to bring itself to an end after its high-profile attack against Kaseya. Our Evil was last heard from in its own voice when it was demanding first $70 million, then a discounted $50 million in exchange for a master decryption key. The gang disappeared, and shortly thereafter, Kaseya received a decryption key— from what it characterized as a reliable source, reliable in the sense that it delivered the goods. Bleeping Computer reports speculation that Russian intelligence services quietly comped Kaseya with the decryptor. Our evil may be among the ransomware gangs that's resurfacing. Bleeping Computer reports that after an absence of almost two months, the group's dark web servers have reappeared. Researchers with both Emsisoft and Recorded Future have tweeted that among the restored presence is the gang's happy blog, but so far there's nothing new on the happy blog, which seems to have resurfaced with the same stuff on deck that was there when it submerged back on July 13th. And the blog's return yesterday was incomplete. While the dump site returned, much as it had been, the Tor portal used to negotiate payment was up but inaccessible. Victims weren't able to log in. All of this revenant activity could mean any number of things. No Before wrote us to observe that cybercriminals operate for a while as distinct recognizable gangs, then break up, reform, and operate again. No Before's James McQuiggin wrote, quote, With this recent activity, it is most likely possible that they are collecting files, data, zero days, or other malware to use in their next group. End quote. It's also possible that some law enforcement agency or agencies are rummaging what they can from the remains to see what forensic analysis will yield. Steve Moore, Exabeam's chief security strategist, wrote that our evil is itself probably a reincarnation of an earlier group. It's likely that there are further incipient campaigns already under preparation against organizations that were vulnerable to the old version of our evil. He thinks that, quote, Directly, our evil took time to refit, retool, and take a bit of a holiday over the summer. The fact their sites are back online means they are again ready for business and have targets in mind, quote. No befores McQuiggan closed his comments by comparing the gangs to the Hydra Hercules fought. When one head was cut off, another nine grew in its place. Or, as one might say, when you're looking at bad actors, their name is Legion. Security firm RiskIQ complains that bulletproof hosting services continue to play a major role as enablers of the underground criminal economy. Their researchers today are drawing attention to FlowSpec, which they call a one-stop shop for threat groups, facilitating phishing campaigns, malware delivery, mage cart skimmers, and large swaths of other malicious infrastructure. At least 19 FlowSpec domains are, according to RiskIQ, associated with MageCart, and the researchers allege that the well known ransomware gangs that have used FlowSpec include Ryuk, Genosome, Ergop, Yamako, Sodinokibi, GandCrab, and Crisis. RiskIQ's bottom line on FlowSpec, which is operated in a twilight zone, one foot in darkness, the other in light, is this spec's current IP allocation should be considered suspicious, if not outright malicious. And finally, what are the keywords most commonly used in phishing nowadays? Expel has just published a list, complete with brief analysis of how each word appears in its social engineering context. They're words that are common enough to appear benign, even anodyne, but with enough suggestion or routine interest or urgency to possibly prompt the jaded and the unwary to click away. Some of the words are invoice, as in, say, missing invoice, new, as in new message, and by the way, message is another one of those commonly abused keywords, required, document, action, verification, request, and among others, the ever-popular blank subject, Think when you're contacted, and remember that security, like fortune herself, favors the prepared mind. In the complex world of enterprise identity, securing legacy web apps at scale can be daunting. Strata Identity makes it simple. With Splunk, you can react quickly, evolve faster, and be ready for anything. Stay ahead of disruptions. Learn more at splunk.com/resilience. The CyberWire's own chief analyst and chief security officer, Rick Howard, recently caught up with Philip Reiner. Chief Executive Officer at the Institute for Security and Technology. Here's
2: their conversation. Philip, back in January of this year, you formed something called the Ransomware Task Force.
0: Tell me what that is. This is an effort to get all of the best people that we could talk to and get their advice on what a comprehensive strategy could look like to tackle the ransomware problem. And this is public and private Civil society, government, industry—as many folks that we could pull in—quite honestly—to cover the waterfront, over a hundred, hundred experts participated. We had everybody from Microsoft to CoveWare to the financial sector, the healthcare sector, small and medium-sized businesses. Yeah, it's been a been a sprint, you know, January through through March, and we're we're set to release the the report here and uh, and get the word out about what our recommendations are.
2: The result of that group getting together after many weeks is that you published a paper back at the beginning of May that describes some international strategic goals.
0: The attempt here is to actually put together a real strategy. Ransomware is a pernicious, broad threat that touches a number of different sectors. One of the things we always like to reemphasize here is there's really great work that's already going on. There's a lot of people out there fighting this fight every day, and we don't mean to say that any of that should stop or that any of that isn't any good. It's just in stovepipes. And so how can you actually put together a strategy that, in a coordinated way, with resources, intentionally goes after the full spectrum of ransomware-related actions? As far as we could tell, nobody had put together that framework, and that's what we've done through the task force. Uh, there's a range of things that need to be done. But if you only do some of them, it's not gonna have the effect you're looking for. At the outset, the challenge was to try and come up with that comprehensive framework. And what we devised was a four-pronged approach where you've gotta look at how to actually deter folks from getting into this. You gotta actually be able to not just put them in handcuffs but disrupt the actors and their infrastructure proactively not always just reacting to them after you gotten hit. You got to go after them, you go left a boom. How do you actually better help people prepare? So, how do you make municipalities and small and medium-sized businesses? How do you make them more resilient? How do you get them the resources they need? And how do you help people respond? I know, you know, deterrence in this space is almost cliche and laughed at, but these guys are acting with impunity because they know nobody's going to come after them. There needs to be White House and State Department-led initiative to actually get a collaborative international effort to deter these folks, squeeze their safe havens while you're disrupting their activities and while you're shoring up people in order to protect themselves. That's why we argue that it has to be a comprehensive top-down framework and strategy because otherwise, you're not really going to make much of a dent.
2: That's Philip Reiner, the CEO and co-founder of the Institute for Security and Technology. And you can find his report at security and technology, all one word, dot org slash ransomware task Force, again all one word, slash report.
1: Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash FedCyber. That's aka.ms slash FedCyber. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Mike Benjamin. He's vice president of security at Lumen Technologies and also is the head of their Black Lotus Labs. Mike, always great to have you back.
2: Thanks, Dave. Good to speak with you.
1: I want to focus today on the research that you and your colleagues have been doing when it comes to reverse RAT and some of the things you all have been tracking there. Can we start off uh, sort of at the beginning here? I mean, what first drew this to your attention?
2: Well, reverse rat is a Trojan that we uncovered here that we published some details around about the end of June in the first iteration and more recently followed up on some more details. the The rat uh, came across our sort of purview due to the way it does a certain type of host enumeration. And so we searched for a variety of column signatures that actors use. Uh, in their day to day of infection and post exploitation and other things, uh, and this one matched one of our triggers, and you know, led the team to take some time to understand more about what it was. Uh, you know ultimately uncovering something that uh, wasn't known at the time.
1: So of course, a uh, RAT uh, stands for Remote Access Trojan. Can you take us through what are some of the unique things about Reverse RAT itself?
2: Well, I, I think most folks understand. Either the concept of remote access trojans, or even just commercially available remote access tools, a lot of enterprises help desks, other things use them, uh, and the, the criminal used rats are not really that dissimilar in regards to what they can do. And so, you know, simple things like desktop control, um, information about a host, screen sharing—those are the kinds of things that either rats or the more reputable tools uh, allow. What's unique about reverse rat is that it was custom built. And so, there are some very well developed rats that are used pretty widely, and if you as a criminal wanted to go out and take control of a computer and do something, you just download one of those tools. They work, they're effective. Um, however, as you might believe, they are detectable right because they are more widely used, they are you know more widely able to be detected and mitigated or blocked or just you know flat out removed mm. and so. The actors who take the time to go develop their own are those that are either going to have more time, more money, something at the end of that campaign that makes it worth their while, not the common criminal that's out there uh, to just encrypt a hard drive or steal a credit card number. And so that's what really stands out is the fact that it was custom developed.
1: I see. Well, you all continued your research here, and, and you published some information about what you were describing as Reverse Rat 2.0, which had some additional capabilities here. Uh, what was the iteration here? What changed with the the second version of Reverse Rat?
2: Well, the first thing that the actor group did was add some more functions. Like I mentioned, you know, rats have a variety of functions that they perform. They added the ability to take pictures with the webcam. So that was a new feature function that they would added. And some other minor changes to evade uh antivirus they in the first iteration had focused on evading a certain path to avoid a detection in kaspersky they added one uh focused on the antivirus software quick heal which is popular inside india and so they installed themselves in different ways in order to evade the the tool chain being detected by those antiviruses But really, the big shift in this second iteration of research that we posted is focused on a new agent that came as a component of it. In the first campaign, we saw Reverse Rat 2.0, or excuse me, Reverse Rat 1.0, deployed in parallel with the open source framework Alicor, uh, which is another rat. Mm -hmm. And in the second iteration of the, the research we published, they had stopped using that open source framework and had installed a side-loaded DLL that that we call Night Fury. And this particular agent enumerates all files of interest within the computer, has C2 commands in order to transfer that file of what it enumerated from a host perspective, as well as to be able to execute subsequent commands. And so given its limited functionality of enumeration and execution, we believe it's an earlier stage loader in the process. Uh, However, it has a number of functions not defined yet. It's literally a loop. If the C2 were to send it a command, it would just go back to the C2. So we believe it's still in development. Um, and no doubt we'll see future development within that framework as well.
1: I see. Can you take us through some of the other recommendations here? Uh, how do you recommend people protect
2: themselves? Well, the uh, first is being aware of this actor group, their exact TTPs. So reading through the research we've published, understanding exactly how they're carrying out their actions Um, That's important. Then being able to compare those against the defenses of your particular organization. So do you have adequate endpoint telemetry where you could detect, mitigate, stop these things? Do you have um, an ability to monitor network traffic for C2 callbacks to to infrastructure you don't expect? And so this is, from a defensive perspective, a lot of the standard items that every entity should be doing, but really it's staying on top of current generation ttps making sure that you can search mitigate and stop and then making sure that you know everything's patched and everything that they this actor would do after they had this initial foothold can be detected and mitigated as well
1: all right well good advice as always mike benjamin thanks for joining us That's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Guru Prakash, Justin Saby, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe.